Well, you can't handle the truth. Now, you probably recognize that as being a line from a few good men, Tom Cruise in that role a few years ago. But there are a lot of applications of that. I mean, some of you can't handle making extraordinary money because you think too little of yourself. Some of you are wanting to start your dream, but you're waiting because you don't have a perfect plan. Some of you may say you want more success, but you won't invest $20 in a book or $97 in a course that could show you the way. Some of you are spending your time doing what most anyone else could do. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, I'm decided to, I'm decided, I'm excited, I'm decided as well, but I'm excited to jump into this today because I'm going to do something a little bit different. Instead of just answering questions directly, I'm going to answer them indirectly because so many of the same questions have been coming up at these live events that we've been doing, these meetups that we're doing where listeners just like you are saying, hey, I've got a place we can meet, you know, come here, we'll get together, discuss things, discuss how to increase your impact, your influence and how to make friends for life. I mean, that's kind of the theme that we're working on in those. But in doing those, I'm finding so many questions come up about some things that I mention again and again and again on here. So I'm going to take seven of those themes that I mentioned and just unpack them a little bit just to give you a refresher. Now, if you're a regular listener, you're going to recognize most all of these, but this is just a little refresher on these things that I think are very important. And those are Number one, the stages of life. Number two, Venn diagram. Number three, zone of genius. Four, the upper limit challenge. Five, minimum viable product. Six, risk avoidance. And seven, the power of investing in yourself. So those are the themes. I'm just going to go through quickly just to kind of give you a refresher on the importance of each of those and how you can use the principles there to move yourself in any direction you want to go. So the quotation we've got today comes from Warren Buffett. You all know Warren. He's done pretty well with his investments. He says, the best investment you can make is an investment in yourself. I've got a little bit more on that story here as we go down a little bit. Now, our resource for today is to invite you again to join us at one of these meetups that we're doing. If you go to 48days.com slash experience, again, that's 48days.com slash experience, you can see where we're going to be. I mean, the next one coming up is going to be in Franklin, Tennessee. You still have time to, to join us there. Um, it's going to be a great event on Thursday, April the, I believe it's the 27th, that Thursday. But be meeting with a bunch of people there. We got some cool things planned. And again, we're going to sing together. We're going to eat together. We're going to play together, grow together, show you ways to invest together. We got some great food lined up. You know me, we're going to have a great Mexican buffet there. Each of you will get to tell your story. We'll look at three practices for attracting people to you. So you don't have to ask for what it is you have to offer rather than feeling like you're chasing people down. You can give them in what it is that you are offering and just simply with an invitation, find them wanting to get engaged. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to 
talk about how if you decide to come to the event that we're doing here in Sarasota in August, that's going to be an extended event. That's going to be two days we're going to be meeting together. And in the afternoon on Friday, we're going to end that with an opportunity for you to share your idea as an investment opportunity for people that will be there who are looking for investment ideas. So if you, you know, we, we got a, we will help you craft your pitch for that. I mean, we've got some pitch decks that you can look at to see what those investors are going to be looking for. So anyway, if you go to 48days.com slash experience, again, you get all the information on that. So again, I'm going to go through these seven areas as our focus for today. Keep those questions coming in. You can certainly always submit your questions. If you just go to 48days.com slash askdan, you can leave them there. But again, we're going to go through stages of life, Venn diagram, zone of genius, upper limit challenge, minimum viable product, risk avoidance, the power of investing in yourself. Because I find that there are those are the themes that keep popping up. When we meet together, people are familiar with those. They want to know more about those. So here we go. Stages of life. Now, I've been working on my own view of the stages of life for a long time. And I keep modifying it, keep adding. I'll tell you a couple of areas I want to add after I go through these. But I identify the 20s, when you're in your 20s, as the learning decade. This is a decade where you try lots of things to see which ones motivate you. I mean, it's often called the critical decade in which we establish saving and spending patterns. We make relational, educational decisions that are going to direct us for the rest of our lives. The 30s is what I call experimenting. This is where you get to sort out your interests, to eliminate the ones that don't fit who you are. The 40s I call mastering. This is a decade where you focus on those things you've kept after your experimenting process developing your skills and becoming an expert in something. The 50s then are reaping. That's usually the period, the decade where you reap the rewards of the decisions you've made in the previous decades. And you create systems to reach your highest earning potential. The 60s are guiding. The decade where you mentor others with the wisdom you gained in prior years and leverage your major life message. 70s, leaving a legacy. This is a decade where you put things in place to live on when you're no longer here. I mean, you recognize sometimes we hear the terms elder or sage or the contributor of wisdom in there. I love those terms. What about the 80s? This is what I call maximizing your zone of genius. This is a decade where you spend 75% of your time doing the one thing that you do best. Majority of duties have been eliminated, delegated, or systematized. Now you notice. You know, I don't have a, a decade here where you just uh, sit back and don't do anything. I, I can't imagine a decade of doing that. So the 90s would be savoring a life well-lived. This is time to reflect on memories, seeds planted, enjoy a sense of maybe transcendence, moving beyond just the enjoyment of what you have in your surroundings, time to enjoy rich relationships, and the anticipation of eternal peace, of course. So we've got that covered. Now, interesting I have people asking me, what are we going to call the decade from 10 to 20? I don't have a term for that. I'd love to have you submit a term for that. You know, we started off with the 20s being a learning stage and then experimenting, mastering, and so on. But what is that 10 to 20s? mean, I got grandkids who are doing incredible things before they ever hit 20. 
probably ought to have a name for that one. I'll be, I'll be thinking about that. And then also, obviously, this is not just a straight linear process. I get a lot of input from people that say, well, I'm moving around. I'm moving back and forth. I think that's cool. I think that, that can be healthy. You know, what is it? Well, how do we describe moving back and forth, crossing lines from before or ahead of our actual age? I get a lot of comments whenever I, I mention this from people, and I, I get some sad ones, which always breaks my heart, but, you know, like this. Unfortunately for me, I'm now 55 and didn't learn much about saving or learning, and now I'm stuck with facing the fact that I'm behind on my promises to my children and my family. Please help me. Another one says, I'm guessing no one reads these emails, but I'll send it anyway. Sadly, because of a lifetime of dumb decisions, I'm now 57, single, no kids, no assets, struggling to even find work. I guess that puts me into stage one. I don't have the slightest idea what to do. I absolutely loathe the place I'm currently living. There's no work options. I'm no longer able to lift. So retail is somewhat limited pay, and the pay is minimal. Buying a home and saving for retirement appear to be mutually exclusive. Well, those are tough situations. But again, I mean, I did an interview earlier today and one of the, she wanted to phrase that we could kind of wrap it up with. And I said, you know what? It's never too late to have a new beginning. So that's true. If you feel like you're in your fifties and you haven't gone through the experimenting learning stages yet, that's okay. I did a major reboot in my fifties and everything that I'm known for today happened since I turned 50. I wasn't building nicely before that. I was experimenting a lot all the way up to that. So my own path has not been exactly like what I described here. This is just general guide, but should be an encouragement for moving ahead. You know, there, I, there's an old saying, you know, if you plant corn, it'll mature in 180 days. If you plant bamboo, it'll mature in five years. If you plant walnut trees, they will mature in 40 years. Well, my advice, my encouragement is be doing all three at every stage. I mean, be doing things that you're going to see the benefit from next week, but be doing things that we're going to be seeing the benefit 10 years from now and be seeing, doing things that you may not see the benefit in your lifetime, like planting a walnut tree or other things. That's okay. Be part of something that's going to be here long after you're gone. All right, number two, Venn diagram. Just going to go through these. I'm going to spend lots of time here, but I'm going to go through these. Venn diagram, that's simply the model. And I wish I could show you a visual here, but being an audio format in a podcast, a little tough, you just have to make your own view of this. Certainly you can go to on our website, 48 Days, and you can find examples of this Venn diagram. Just put that in a search. You know, anytime I mention something, if you go to 48days.com, there's a search engine there, a little circle up at the top. You click on that, it'll open up. You can put in any term that I use here and you'll be taken to information that explains it more fully. But the Venn diagram is that idea of having multiple streams of income, where instead of having just one, you have varied ones. And that's that's possible for anybody. Certainly, you know, I often use having a book as an example of that, but having a book is just one little tiny part of creating a business around that. If you have a book with a clear message in it, you're going to get opportunities to speak from which you can get paid. You're going to be able to come up with other product sales, just having derivative products from that, maybe a, a workbook or a guidebook or a PDF or a seminar, a workshop. So you can also you know, have live events. 
You may want to coach in that particular area. You could have a affiliate commissions where you're promoting other products that are similar. You may have a membership site that like our 48 Days Eagles community, you know, around the concept of my book, or you may have a mastermind. So there's ways like that that you can expand no matter what it is you do. And it doesn't matter if you're an artist or if you're a window washer, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, even if you're an employee where you get a W-2, you can still be looking at how can you leverage the things that you're doing to have income coming from different ways. So that's Venn diagram, kind of very, very foundational principle for helping people expand their opportunities. All right, the third one is zone of genius. This is a concept that, um, you know, I, I really learned about it when I was part of strategic coach. I mean, I was in there as a student um, for several years, but I learned about it there, how to break down the activities that I'm doing into four different categories. And you can do this again, no matter what your position, you can do this as well. So I'll start at the bottom. The bottom of those are what we call incompetent activities. Now, this is where you have really not a lot of passion. You really aren't even very good at it. It just feels like you're grinding away when you're doing this kind of work. Things you can do, but it's certainly not where it really engages your passions or anything that you want to continue. Coming up one level are the competent activities. So we have incompetent then competent. Now this is where you can do the work and you do it pretty well, but you don't really have a lot of passion about it. And then we come up to excellent, excellent activities. This is where you do the work well. Other people may even comment on how good you are. Now this is where most people get stuck is right here in Excellent activities. It keeps the money coming in, but you know you could be replaced pretty easily. And this may be true even if you're a physician or a dentist or an attorney or a pastor, accountant, engineer. I mean, even at those levels, you may be stuck in your excellent activity. Well, then at the top, and as you hear me describe it, we call that the zone of genius. This is that unique, individualized blend of your unique talent and passion. I mean, this is where only you can do this. It provides the most leverage to create your biggest impact in the world and likely will also reward you most financially. So those are four ways of spending your time. What is it that puts you in your zone of genius? When I first started doing this, when I first was exposed to this kind of model, this framework, I was spending about 25% of my time in my zone of genius. My goal was to get to 75% of my time. And that I have pretty much accomplished at this point. Very strategic about how I spend my weeks in each, I mean, the, the, the days in each week, so that it allows me to have a lot of time to spend in my zone of genius. That being, you know, I love to read, to study, to assimilate all that wisdom of the ages that's out there so rich that we can draw from and then make that applicable and understandable for people today to help them clarify what it is that their zone of genius is so they can lean into what you hear me talk about here, work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Now, what do you do with these areas then? So this is kind of the next step in understanding this. So we have four areas, incompetent, competent, excellent, and zone of genius. The incompetent activities, you want to work to eliminate those. 
do something to get those off your plate. Competent activities where you can do it, but you don't really have any passion about it. Delegate. Delegate. Doesn't mean it's lesser than. It just means somebody else is skilled in that area where you're not. Let them do it. You know, I, I, you know, I have an accountant. You know, do I want to learn how to do that really well for my business? Not a chance. I want somebody whose skills far surpass my own in that area to take care of that. Same thing is true with anything having to do with technology. You know, the systems that run our business. I know very, very little about those, but I have people who understand it very well who stay on top of that. All right, next level up. So we had incompetent, competent, then excellent. Here, create systems where that could just be done, that can be done, you know, systemized. An example of that would be, we have a lot of courses out there. So instead of just going through again and again and again, the same information, you know, with an individual or small group of people, we have it in courses. So people can access it at 3 a.m. in the morning if they want to and go through exactly the same material that's been helpful to other people. And then zone of genius, this is what you want to expand. As you expand that, now you're never going to get to the point where that's all you do. You just get closer and closer. But again, as a goal, my goal was to have 75% of my time spent in that area, my zone of genius. That was a pretty hefty goal when I first looked at this. But it's been a joy to be able to get there by following this model. So that's your zone of genius. How are you going to get there? You know, sometimes when I talk about delegating, it seems like it's just arrogant or I'm too good to do that. You know, that's not really the case at all. I mean, if we, if we read in the Bible, in Acts chapter 6, it talks about, you know, people were um, criticizing the disciples, because there were widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So now those 12 guys, you know, they could have done that. They could have taken up the task of going around and visiting the, the widows and orphans that they needed to be taking care of. But they said, no, let's select seven men who are really known to be good at handling that kind of thing. Let's turn this responsibility over to them. That way we can stay really focused on what it is that we're called to do. Now, again, it may sound you know selfish or arrogant, but understood correctly, this response came as a clear acknowledgement and protection of the work they knew they were supposed to do. So they weren't going to spend their time on what they could delegate or put in place with systems. They were going to stay in their zone of genius. When you think about you know, James and Peter and John and those guys, you know, they did pretty unique things, each of them, and it wasn't where they just took up all their time you know, doing things that could easily be done by somebody else. Okay, risk avoidance. Now, this is all, there's something here that's going to surprise some of you and seems almost to be counterintuitive. As you move up that ladder to your zone of genius, your chances of failure actually increase. Now, a lot of people really want to avoid risk. You know, that conjures up a real negative kind of meaning to them. To me, it's the opposite. To me, if something has risk, it has the, the possibility of opening a new door of opportunity or something that I've never experienced before. That's what I want. And risk, just simply by definition, 
means it's something I've never done before, so there's a chance that it won't work for me. So if you want to avoid failure and risk, then stay in your area of competence. Just stay doing that thing that you know you do day after day. Anybody else could do it, but at least it's pretty predictable. You know, you know what's going to happen at the end of the day. Just stay there because that'll protect you. As you move up toward your zone of genius, you're going to be looking at big dreams. There's less certainty because you're going to be doing things you've never done before. Maybe things no one has ever done before. And those don't come without risk and occasional failure. But you have to frame that differently so that you don't describe it as failure. You know, I think about uh, Ted Turner, you know, years ago was asked, well, he, he owned, you know, the Atlanta Braves. And for years they were just losing, just a horrible team. And somebody asked him, you know, how he felt during all those years of losing. And he responded immediately, he said, we weren't losing, we were learning. He just, it, it was an immediate reframe for him. We weren't losing, we were learning. And then in the learning, then they came back and of course were national champions, but that's, that's how it can work. So think about this with me. Would you rather do something guaranteed every day and make $50,000 a year or try five new things? You know, maybe developing a new board game. Oh, we've got, got an event coming up where we're going to have somebody share a brand new board game. We're going to be his focus group for that. And then he's going to take it to Kickstarter. It's really exciting. I'll tell you more details when it's a done deal. But you could maybe develop a new board game. No guarantee of success, but it may be the next monopoly or cash flow. Think about that. Or position yourself as a speaker. Wow, could you get out there? And Jen McDonough, our dean of speaking in our Eagles community, you know, has a copy of her first $500 check that she got. You know, for speaking, you know, now she has events where she gets 15,000. That was a long time ago, but you know, is it guaranteed to work? No, but you can open the door to really big opportunities there. Maybe you want to launch a course based on a unique area of knowledge you have. So what if you, what if you tried, let me just kind of sum this up this way. What if you tried five new things all day to lose? Okay. Again, we, um, I'm framing this, you know, you could do something guaranteed every day, make $50,000 a year where you try five new things and you end up losing $20,000 and compilation on the, on four of them. But then you have one where you make a quarter of a million dollars, one where you make $250,000. You know, what should you rather do? Well, to me, the second proposition is way more appealing. Now, I know that may not be true for everybody, but just know that you have the option. That's all that I want. I just want you to recognize you have the option. And some of you are resisting because you're trying to avoid any risk, avoid the chance of any failure, and you're closing yourself off to your biggest opportunity. All right. Now, again, I'm not answering questions today, but typically I do. Got a lot of them in the queue for next week and beyond. If you want to add to that, have us unpack a question of yours together, and they relate to something we're talking about here today in a particular application that you're experiencing just go to 48days.com slash askdan. You can leave your question there. You can leave it in an audio format or write it out either way you please. 
All right, then now the next one that's related to these is the upper limit challenge. Now this, I was first exposed to that term, certainly the concept, you know, many places, but the term came from The Big Leap, a book by Gay Hendricks. He talks about that upper limit challenge, and this is how he describes it. He says, each of us has an inner thermostat setting that determines how much love, success, and creativity we allow ourselves to enjoy. When we exceed our inner thermostat setting, we will often do something to sabotage ourselves, causing us to drop back into the old familiar zone where we feel secure. Now, I've used as an example on here that we could you know, see somebody, a kid, an 18-year-old kid who lives in abject poverty, and yet he has an amazing throwing arm for football. So we take him to Nashville, Tennessee, give him a $10, or $10 million bonus, sign it on with the Tennessee Titans there. And then six months later, he's spent the money and more, sabotaged his career, and he's back where he was. Well, what happened there, the reality of what he was given didn't match his sense of deserving. We see that again and again and again. I mean, we talk about lottery winners. You know, they're broke. And then three years later, they win the lottery. And three years later, they're back where they were before. They're broker than they were before. That's the upper limit challenge. When you don't think you're deserving. Now, we see this played out a lot. I mean, you may position yourself as that speaker. And you get your first assignment. It's going to be in Dallas. You fly out there. You get a hotel. You're going to speak the next morning. You wake up and you got a sore throat. Well, I know that can happen, but a lot of times it's just your body reacting to the opportunity saying, hey, you are ready for this. It's that upper limit challenge that we hit. Years ago, our church went together. This was up in Kentucky years ago. I was working on, I, uh, I think I was working on my master's degree at the time, but our church went together and gave a car to a single mom and her son. Now they, you know, looking at their house you know, that they rented, you know, it was weeds up, broken glass and the windows and all that, you know, but they were just eking out a living and we were going to help them by getting them a new car. And we did a brand new car. It was a Chevy Cavalier blue station wagon. I remember it today. Within four months, it was dented, broken glass, wheel covers missing. They See, they brought it down to a level that matched their sense of deserving. Joanna and I have seen this time and time again. Wow. We, we you know, I had a, a process where we were helping young gals who were getting out of prison. And there were gals we'd help get a nice car, nice house, a job, too much all at once. And we'd see them self-sabotage until their reality matched their sense of deserving. It had to happen slower over a period of time. They had to change their thinking. You know, I talked to Alan Thomas a couple of days ago. He told me something that blew my mind. I, I'm going to develop this concept. I want to get more details from him. But in essence... He's having knee problems. Now, if you recognize the name Alan Thomas, you know, he's in our Eagles community. He helps people lose weight and usually dramatic amounts of weight. Alan woke up one morning, looked at the scale, it was 304. This was in February, a couple of years ago, and he decided that by Thanksgiving, he was going to weigh 175. That's what, 129 pounds. And he did, he hit that. Well, other people are asking him, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? So today he helps other people do that. So that's his past. Well, he's having trouble with his knees. Knees are giving him some pain. He was referred to a, 
a functional medicine doctor, a guy who uses innovative approaches. He works with athletes, celebrities, and all that. So never met before, never met in person. So they got on a Zoom call with Alan. And he says, Alan, walk across the room. Walk back across your room there and walk toward me. Now walk again, do that. And he says, Alan, have you lost weight? And Alan's like, yeah, I lost a whole lot of weight. You know what the doctor said? You're walking like you still weigh 304. Now think about that. His body had changed, but his mind still told him he's a fat man. He said, that's why if you're broken with the lottery, don't change your mindset. You're going to be broke again in three years. That's the power of that upper limit challenge. If you want to be a millionaire, you have to start thinking like millionaires think. Acting like they act, doing things they do. That has to become, if you don't do that in advance, you won't be able to handle the money when it comes. I mean, a lot of people, you know, when we, when we talk about getting increases, if somebody gets a 3 to 4% increase in their income annually, you can handle that. It's slow. It's gradual. You know, a little bit if you go from 70 to 74,000, it's nice to get that, but it doesn't really make a major change. But what if you do write a book that's a runway seller, as an example, and all of a sudden, you know, you're um, Rick Warren and you write Purpose Driven Life and it sells 10 million copies and you get a dollar a book. That's a pretty radical change. If you aren't prepared for that, you'll sabotage that success. And, and in today's environment, all of you have that potential to go not from just getting a three, three or 4% increase, but having something that would produce 10 times the income that you're at now with the right opportunity. All right, a couple more. Minimum viable product. This is my encouragement to don't wait until it's perfect. I mean, the first version of 48 Days, people were asking me for uh, content. I didn't have anything. Because people kept asking, I finally, you know, Joanna and I would go to Kinko's at night and we'd copy and have spiral bound just our rough notes in the Sunday school class. It certainly wasn't a book. We just put it together like that and people bought it. Then we did it in a three ring binder and three ring binder. And then, you know, the story, I went to a Mark Victor Hansen conference in LA, came back in the next 30 months, I sold over $2 million worth of that little three ring binder that I had that was very elementary in the way it was done before I ever talked with a publisher, before I ever thought about that becoming a book. Don't wait until it's perfect. Seth Godin says, you can't fail if you don't start. Now, a minimum viable product, that's a term that I got from The Lean Startup, a little book by Eric Reese, who talked about just start with what you have. Get in the game. You can improve it as you go along. Eric or, or um, Reed Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn, says this, and I love this. I share this over and over again. He says, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. How about that? A lot of people I see, they're waiting to get it absolutely perfect. No, don't do that. It's so many things today, we can make changes as we go. We have somebody in our Eagles community, Mark and Cindy Alwine, who just wrote a song about fly with the Eagles. I mean, it's beautiful. And then Chris Gallagher, pastor in there, helped him with video for that. So it's really beautifully done. So they shared that. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to share this on our Monday Mentor Calls. 
So we've been doing that. Then they said, ooh, we can make it better. So they'd come back and change it, which they can do instantly. You know, with technology, there's nothing printed or pressed or not the old vinyl records or anything. It's just a digital format. So they can come back in. And this last week, it was much improved from what it was two weeks ago. Love that. But minimum viable product. Don't wait until it's perfect. Get in the game. All right. The last one we got here is the power of investing in yourself. And again, our quotation from Warren Buffett, the best investment you can make is an investment in yourself. Now, when asked what the best investment he ever made was, now this is billionaire Warren Buffett, who owns property and companies over the world, you know, worth billions of dollars. What's the best investment you ever made? He said, I took a $100 Dale Carnegie course, and it's why I'm successful today. He took a course. Now, here's, here's a little more behind the rest of the story there. Up until the age of 20, Warren Buffett had a fear of public speaking. He said, just the thought of it made me physically ill. He said, I would literally throw up. Well, he tried to choose courses in college where he didn't have to stand up in front of class. And he arranged his life so he would never find himself in front of a crowd. He just was going to protect himself like that. But then during his time at Columbia Business School, he saw an ad in the paper for a Dale Carnegie public speaking course. He said, I figured it would serve me well. So I went to Midtown, signed up, and gave him a check. Then after I left, I immediately stopped payment on the check. I just couldn't do it. I was that terrified. After he graduated, he knew the problem was still there. He knew that he really needed to be able to speak in front of people. So again, he saw that little ad in the paper. He went down to sign up. This time, he gave the instructor $100 in cash. He says, I knew if I gave him the cash, I'd show up. After the course was over, he went back to the University of Omaha and announced he wanted to start teaching. He knew if he didn't speak in front of people quickly, he'd lapse right back to where he was. And he said he just kept, kept doing it. And of course, now he talks, talks everywhere. I heard that story when I first got a teaching assistantship at Western Kentucky University to get my master's degree in clinical psychology, teaching assistantship. The first day I walked down to class knowing I was going to walk into a, a room full of freshmen for Psychology 101, I was going to teach them. I got sick. I threw up just like Warren Buffett talks about. But I knew that if I could get through that, it would open doors of opportunity for me in many ways. So I continued doing it day after day. Not quite so sick, not quite so sick. Hey, this is going to be fun. Walked in, but I also took the Dale Carnegie Human Relations Program, just like Warren Buffett is talking about, to give you more confidence standing up, to speak from an area of what they call uh, where you've earned the right. So something you know about, just talk for two minutes. That's how it started. But that process of investing in myself, you know, that was a lot of money then and remains so. But I knew that was going to be a stepping stone. But the power of investing in yourself, I've never seen anything give the kind of return. And again, this may sound selfish, self-centered, but it really leads to being able to be more generous in so many ways because it helps develop you as the person. So then you do have more resources and all of a sudden you can be way more generous if you have a heart of service. So to serve better, invest in yourself, 
and you'll be able to do that even more. Now, a lot of you know that when I was a 13-year-old farm kid, I got a copy of The Strangest Secret, that little audio recording of Earl Nightingale, where the principle is we become what we think about. Well, that was $15. But I went back and looked at $15 back then when I was a 13-year-old kid in today's buying power, it's about $150 is what it is. So it's a lot different. And I'm trying to remember how in the world I accumulated the money to buy that back then, because that was very expensive for a product like that back then. But somehow in selling sweet corn for 30 cents a dozen or whatever it was I was doing, I was able to uh, accumulate the money and buy that. That was an investment. The return on that, I mean, I can go through, I can track the return on that, what that led to in terms of me risking with other investments that gave me a big monetary return as well. You know, John Maxwell says, if you say you don't have the resources to invest in yourself, you have a scarcity problem. You don't have an income problem. You have a thinking problem. I don't believe enough in myself to invest in me. That's what John Maxwell says. Now, what I recommend is that you invest at the very beginning, at the very lowest income ranges that you invest 3% of your income. So let's say that you're making $20 an hour. That's going to be $3,200 monthly income. 3% of that is going to be roughly $100 a month that you would have, even if you're making $20 an hour, $100 a month, invest in yourself. Now, the irony is, you know, oftentimes people say, well, I can't afford to do that now, but when I start making more money, then I'll be able to do that. No, if you're not doing that as a principle, it's just like tithing. If you're not doing that as a principle, when you have little, you won't do it when you have much. And frankly, you may not get to the point where you have much if you aren't tithing and investing in yourself. Now, if we move it up a little bit, then I recommend at $50,000 a year in annual income that you move that up to 5% of your income. So that's going to give you $200 a month to invest in yourself. What are you going to do with that? I mean, certainly you can be part of the Eagles community. You can go to a workshop. You can save up and go to a conference, move up to yearly income of $100,000, 5%. Then you're going to have $5,000 annually or a little over $400 a month to invest in yourself. Be looking at it just as a principle like that. You will be astounded at how it increases that the, again, the return that you get on investing in yourself like that. Of course, you move up to $300,000 a year, which some of you are there. Our recent survey shows that quite a few of you are at that level or more. That's $15,000. I mean, there you can go to Fiji with uh, Tony Robbins, or you can go on a cruise that has a theme to it. A lot of things, of course, a yearly income of a million dollars. It's going to be $50,000 annual. How would you like to have that? The challenge of figuring out where to invest in yourself. Would you have $50,000 to do that? Now, see, a lot of times people think, well, gee, when you get to a per particular level, you don't have to increase your learning. You know, you don't have to invest in yourself anymore. That's not true. The people I know who are extremely successful are still looking for those opportunities to invest in themselves. I mean, I go to conferences where I, behind the scenes, you know, register and pay because I know the organizer would invite me for free if I, they knew I wanted to come, but I don't want that. I want the experience, just like Warren Buffett, you know, wrote a check and then canceled the check, stopped payment on the check. Now, when he put $100 cash down, he knew he was committed to participate. I still want that feeling. I invested in this. I expect to get something out of it. 
and take it away. Plus, I don't want to break the cycle of investing that 5% of my income so that I continue to enjoy the benefits of doing that. All right, we're going to wrap it up there. went a little longer than I anticipated, but I love hearing your questions regarding these seven different areas. Again, I see them coming up as common themes when we get together. I love that. You know, check out our upcoming events. You know, join us for one of those. I'd love to break bread with you, shake your hand, give you a hug around the neck, hear your questions, where you are and how you're moving forward in your success path. If you go to 48days.com slash experience, you're going to hear there and see the opportunities we've got for upcoming events the remainder of this year. Love to see you there. Hey, and if you got a place where you raise your hand and say, let's do one of these in wherever it happens to be, Colorado Springs, San Diego. We got some spots. Some people have hinted they'd like to see one out west, and we haven't had anybody really step up to the plate and say, let's do one here. So if you're that person, let us know. We'd love to talk to you. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, being a powerful force for making the world a better place. Hey, share this episode. You may have some people out there that need to hear one of these or more. Get your family together. Listen to this. Going through these principles, applying what you now know. You know, you can't unknow what you just heard here. And if some of these things really kind of uh, open a new thinking avenue for you, follow up on that. Do something. Take action. And that's why we stick to our 48 days plan. That's enough time to dramatically change the direction of your life if you create a plan and execute it. So I know that you know that. You also know, as I do, that you can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 